You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Quick note before we get started. There's been some changes to the small game proposals since we recorded this episode. So if you follow us on social, you may have seen that the Division of Wildlife has decided to remove the coyote change proposals from the list of proposed changes. Brian, who you'll hear in this episode, was nice enough to jump on a, a short call with me and basically explain why they made that decision. So what you're going to hear is that quick phone call snippet and then we'll we'll transition into the episode as it was originally recorded so here we go all right brian so we had we, we talked a little earlier today and uh apparently since we recorded the episode we've had some changes in the information that we talked about there so if you could could you give us uh some insight into what changed sure sure the the uh Chief of the Division of Wildlife, Kendra Wecker, and uh, our biologists and, and some of the senior staff um, certainly talked about this. We've, we've received a lot of feedback um, and, and a lot of different directions, you know, a lot of different feedback in a lot of different directions from a lot of different groups. And, and you know, I think for now we've decided to, to kind of pull this off the table, um, gather some more information, and, and probably try to put together something similar, but yet I'm sure it'll look a little bit different um, for the July session. Um, we just And just to clarify, we're talking about the coyote proposals, right? Yes, correct, correct. The, the coyote proposals that we talked on earlier. Um, yes. The rest of the proposals, the sm other small game stuff, uh, waterfowl, things like that are, are, are um, going to be in. And we, we also um, presented the, the deer proposals uh, tonight. Not a lot of big ground shaking uh, differences there. Um, you know, a couple counties might go up a deer or down a deer, but you know that's that's a normal process. But um, the coyote proposals for now, we're gonna we're gonna pull off and and continue to gather information. I mean, all the biology is still there, um, but but you know, give us some time too to hopefully correct some of the some of the misinformation that's out there floating around. Um, sure. We're not trying to propose a, a a you know a hunting season or a limited hunting season on them um 
you know, there's there's just a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff going around, and we want to try and come up with the best package that still, you know, meets the needs of of trying to avoid some of that non-target catch. Um, you know, certainly we we have a responsibility to to fix the the, the laws and make them match. Um, but you know, some of the some of the reasons people think that that this is being done certainly. Uh, Certainly aren't there, and we need some time to be able to address that and, and and come up with some better better ways to go at it and some a better package that's going to serve everybody um, everybody maybe a little better too. Okay, so it sounds like you know you were you were getting some pushback from people in Ohio. You, you decided maybe you need a little more time to um, one probably clarify the message and, and just you know. Hopefully, you know, this podcast will kind of help clarify some of the reasoning behind why that was initially proposed. And then, you know, I'm sure you guys will have other communications and and things about clarifying the message. And then to just kind of, uh, like you said, coming up with, a you know, maybe a a better package that uh, more people can get behind. Yeah, I think so. And, and, And I think, you know, just to give us the time really to clear up a lot of, a lot of the misinformation. You know, a lot of times sure. you get some, you get people that are against it, so they'll maybe invent some other, some other reasons <laughs> that that really aren't there. Um, and, yeah. And uh, heard some some unique ones this week, but but you know, I get it. It's it's uh, you know, people I think are always a little a little you know weary of government and what their intentions are. But I mean, I can I can tell you, I've been with this outfit for 26 years, and and. You know, the Division of Wildlife is a fine group of people that, that really is just trying to do the, the best thing for the citizens of the state and the resource. Sure. Okay. Well, um, unless you have anything else to add, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I know it's it's late, and I appreciate you jumping on here real quick to uh, just clarify the change with us. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So, no longer any coyote changes, but... We left the information in the episode because it's still valuable information. It still gives insight as to why they proposed the changes in the first place. So just so we're all clear, they are not proposing any coyote changes. You'll hear us talk about the coyote changes as if they are. That's because it was recorded before the decision to pull them was made. So just so we're all clear. Now let's get into the original episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman podcast and today I think is going to be a really important episode for you all. So we did an episode in the past on the small game changes. So if if you haven't listened to that one, maybe, maybe listen to that one first. But it was Jacob, Jeff, and I sort of going over what was released by the ODNR, the Division of Wildlife, on the proposed small game changes and kind of giving our thoughts and, and, you know, just making you all aware of these proposed changes. Today, we brought in an expert. So we've got Brian Banbury from the Division of Wildlife on, and this was it, it was a really good conversation because it allowed us to ask some questions about why where did these proposals come from what data do you guys have that is is supporting these these changes and 
we basically tried to ask the questions that that you guys asked of us after we released the first episode or we made some posts on social media about the changes. You guys had a lot of questions, rightfully so, and we tried to get all those answered today. So it was a really good conversation. I really appreciate Brian for taking time to talk to us and and therefore get the information out to you all. I think it was a good conversation, and I think it's going to help us all. I know it helped us in the conversation, but I think it's going to help us all understand and and figure out if we support these changes, how to make our voice heard if if we do, you know, if we want to say, yep, you know, after you've explained them and, and, and we get the information, sort of the behind the, the scenes story, maybe, you, you know, some of the proposed changes you decide, yeah, you know, after I hear that, I, I agree. Um, or if, if they're changes that you don't like, how do you get your voice heard and, you know, and do it in the in what I'll call the, the proper way? Right, leaving leaving a, a comment on Facebook or something is, is great, but there's an actual process for for this. You know, the the Division of Wildlife puts these proposed changes out ahead of time so that the public can be made aware of them and they can receive public comment. So there's a there's a right way to do that, and we talk about that. And the other thing I'll say is if you go to the article that we wrote to accompany this there are some graphs in there that show some of this uh, you know you'll hear Brian mention some of the some of this data there's some we put some of those he allowed us to put some of those graphs in the article so just as like supporting information so some of the coyote population trend data that they have or the 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 grouse information that they have so if you're interested in that and you want to see some of those graphs that he mentions, go to our website and and you'll be able to see that information there. Now, as always, got to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's is a premium scent product company. And the reason I call them a premium product is they collect all their scent on stainless steel. A lot of other scent companies you'll find collect on concrete. And if you know anything about concrete, it's porous. So it's going to soak up odors and smells and things from the surrounding area, anything else that gets on it. So, you know, you can get some off scents. Mastin's collects on stainless steel. And the other really great thing that that I, I think makes them a premium company is they seem to be innovating in the scent space, right? It's not just a bottle of, of liquid or or aerosol scent. They've got scented gel crystals that can actually be refreshed with liquid scent. They've got scented candles and, and not like, you know, potpourri scented. I mean like deer scented candles. So they've got, for example, an estrus candle or you can get a, uh, like an apple scented, you know, like as an attractant. So lots of interesting products, and the best part is the prices are really good. So check them out, mastinsdeersense.com, or you know, if you have trouble spelling that or something, you can go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and you'll find a link there to their website where you can order product, and they'll ship it right to you. And with that, 
let's get into the conversation with Brian. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right. Today on the show, we've got Brian Banbury from the Division of Wildlife. And we we did a little uh, episode with Jacob, Jeff, and I about the proposed small game changes, just kind of reading through the, the information that was publicly available. This episode, we thought, you know, we're going to we're kind of going to go another layer deep. And we brought somebody on from the Division of Wildlife to give us some more details, maybe some insight as to why some of these changes are being proposed and and that sort of thing. So, Brian, thank you for taking time to uh, to jump on a call with us and and talk about this stuff. So if you could kind of kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do with the, the Division of Wildlife, and uh, then we'll get into the topic. Sure. Um, I'm currently serve as the executive of the administrator of information and education for the Ohio Division of Wildlife. Um, I've been with ODNR for 26 years. Um, first six years of my career, I was with the Division of Parks um, as a state park naturalist, and then for the past 20 years have been involved in uh, as, as both a county game warden or wildlife officer and, uh, you know, most recently then uh, a detective or investigator with a law enforcement staff. But uh, now member of the information and education squad just uh hoping to continue the good work that uh that the division does okay and and you and i had talked offline i already want to have you back on to talk about some of that uh that uh investigative work that you've done i think there could be some really interesting uh conversations to be had there so we'll have yeah. to have sure. to do we another can, one of these we can certainly revisit that i mean you know most most outdoorsmen in Ohio are, are perfectly law abiding and just out there having a good time. But there's another element that, that does, uh, you know, kind of maybe ruin it for everybody. So, so yeah, there's some good stories there too. Sure. So, like I said at the beginning, we, we wanted to bring you on to talk about the proposed small game changes. And I want to remind the audience that, that these are still at this point proposed changes um, so yeah, one thing yes. I want to I want to talk about uh, is how people can give public comment. We talked a little bit in our previous episode about how to do that, but I, I kind of want to reiterate that. But to to start, I guess maybe you could take that. You know, how can people give comment, or maybe we leave that to the end. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But to start, could you kind of summarize the the current proposed small game changes for? I guess this is going to be for the the 2020-2021 season? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, there's there's several small changes. Uh, migratory birds and waterfowl, small game and fur bears, spring wild turkey, um, threatened and endangered listing changes. And, uh, you know, that's at this time. And then, then the deer proposals and some other ones will come out later on. This, this process is a yearly process. This is not, you know, anything different or new than we what we normally do um 
we always kind of revisit them in the off season and take a look at, at population trends and harvest numbers. And, you know, it's just something our, our biologists are, are constantly looking at. It's, you know, wildlife management is this ever evolving, moving process. Um, sure. and, and you're dealing with a lot of ep- estimates and, and, you know, quite frankly, there's, there's a legal element to it. And then there's, a, there is also a, a public comment and, and, and what the public wants side of it as well. So wildlife management is, is this, this, this balance of all of this, you know, it's, it's, you try to use the best case science, but you know, there's also a public, public opinion and a, and a public tolerance or, or, you know, their wishes are factored into it as well. So, you know, and, and some, obviously some issues come a little bit more, you know, touchy than others, you know, some, some afford, and people want more comments on some things, you know, they don't seem to care as much about that. So it's just a balancing act. And, and quite honestly, that's why we do this, these proposals. And that's why we do them, you know, four months out in advance. So these proposals are, are put out now. So the public does have time to kind of chew on them and look at them and, and talk about them. You know, the, nothing's set in stone and won't be for, you know, a, a approximately four months from now. Yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, we've done episodes in the past with uh, Mike Tonkovich, and and he talked about that sort of balancing act or that that uh, that tightrope you guys have to walk between, you know, using the science but also keeping the public happy. You know, he he gave the example, and I forget the exact example, but you know, he he basically said something to the effect of you could implement a change that you would think is a slam dunk. Everybody's going to love it. And you can bet your boots that there's going to be somebody that hates it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just... Yeah. There, there, there's no possible way that, that, that you can make everybody happy. And that's why that's why we take the science and, and you know, kind of put it up against the proposal and put it out there. You know, if it if, if it was just about the science or just about, you know, the biology, you would just make the decision and that would be it. But you know, there is several factors that we put into this. And and it's interesting, you ask the question and you're going to get a hundred different answers. I mean, you know, I've, I've been on your guys' Facebook, um, Facebook site and, and several others. And, you know, everybody's got a completely different idea. And usually yeah. it's self-serving. How does this affect me personally the best? And the, the hard part from, you know, a wildlife manager's perspective is, you're truly trying to look at the big picture and and see how it affects, you know, not only the, the wildlife population, but the largest amount of human population as well. Right. So, for example, one of the ones that I thought, you know, for sure nobody's going to complain about is one of the proposed changes is moving the turkey opener. Now, now the turkey opener would be for the 2021 turkey season but moving that from monday to a saturday so you get two extra weekend days in turkey season to to me that you know that was like yeah why wouldn't you want that but i you know when we posted about that and you know we're talking about some of these proposed changes there's people in our comments saying you know i I leave it alone leave it at monday you know and it it was just like wow i you know it's true you just you just can't make everybody happy you can't. And, and so who knows why that is? I mean, does that individual maybe have Mondays off? You know, maybe he doesn't. Right. That person doesn't have to work Monday. So to him, it's perfect because less competition. It's, you know, you, you just never know why what somebody's 
you know, how, what they're basing their opinion on. But generally it's, you know, I mean, it's self-serving. That's, that's kind of human nature, you know, whatever fits my life and my style the best. That's what I want. So it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that that's how they do it. Yeah. So I guess to run, run through the list, we mentioned moving the, the Turkey opener to Saturday. There's a proposal to allow, and correct me if I if I misspeak on any of these. There's sure, a sure. there's a proposal to allow active duty military and military veterans to hunt during the youth waterfowl season. That's correct. There is a a, a couple changes regarding quail and ruffed grouse, reducing the bag limits and closing. Uh, closing really any harvest on on almost all public land and is that for both of those species uh no that 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 second part only applies to quail okay all right all right so that only applies to quail so roughed grouse would still be allowed you'd still be allowed to hunt roughed grouse on on any public accessible land like you've been in the past correct okay there was, uh, I think, some some season date changes to some waterfowl. Is that correct? Um, every every year, so every every year, you basically you basically have to change the basically the dates. You know, so for for instance, like with, with guns, deer gun season, for instance, it always opens up the Monday following Thanksgiving. Okay. Well, depending on when Thanksgiving falls in that given year, you know what I mean? That, that Monday is not going to be the same date every year. Same calendar date. Yeah. So, so if we're trying to say, for instance, if we're trying to keep the opening day of duck season hovering around that third weekend in October, obviously every year that is a date change. Okay. You know, specific date. So a lot of that is just kind of what we, what we would call calendar catch up or calendar cleanup we're not really changing the date but the date itself actually changes every year okay i thought i had read something about sort of shifting that some of those waterfowl seasons to give you more november hunting days or or... yeah there 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 is there was there there is a proposal where there would be a nine day first uh season split um, in the north zone october 21st to, to november 1st and that that's trying to that's trying to you know trying to you know from a biological standpoint trying to guess a migration you know we're trying to primarily that time of year you're harvesting teal, you know what's left of the teal but you're 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 really trying to hit that wood duck migration for Ohio so okay. part of that's to try and capture that and then through our duck hunter surveys once again this is one that obviously everybody can't agree on like all of them but there are, there are waterfowl hunter surveys. They have shown an interest um, to hunt as late as possible and have, have the bulk of their days fall in the later part of the year. Now, I realize, once again, everybody doesn't isn't going to agree with that, but that's that's kind of what, you know, kind of what our, we've gotten from the public. Sure. And then the other, uh, the other uh, what I think is, is probably going to be uh, – Biggest change is there's some proposed changes to coyote, um, uh, I guess, maybe management or or the way coyotes are are handled in the state. So 
Historically, there's been no closed season, you know, sort of a free-for-all on Coyotes. The proposed change is to roll Coyotes into the fur bears season in the fall for trapping. And so then therefore require a fur bears license to do that. Also requiring a fur bears permit to hunt coyotes. Correct. That's correct. But no season. For right. the hunt. No, no close no season close. to hunt. Right. But you would still when, be required to have the fur fur takers permit. Yeah. That, and there's, there's just some, you know, a lot of that, I mean, do you, do you want to go back and cover some of the other stuff? Do you think? Yeah, first? yeah. We can Let's, go into that? Right, yeah. So last week we talked to Nathan Stricker about, we, we did an episode about waterfowl, and we kind of centered it around bird banding. And so we, we touched on some of that, you know, using some of that information to try to determine when birds are being harvested and therefore when they're passing through Ohio and, and using that information collected from bird bands to set season dates. So, you know, we touched a little bit, a bit, (laughs) we touched a little bit on that with season dates, but I kind of want to go back to the, the allowing military to hunt during youth waterfowl season, because there's this, there's this federal component with migratory species like that. So from, I was kind of reading between the lines on the notice you guys put out on that, and, and it seemed like there was some sort of a, a directive, if you will, from maybe that was U.S. Fish and Wildlife to to, to sort of implement something like that. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that that actually came straight from Congress. So, okay, in, uh, 2019, Congress passed the Migratory Bird Framework and Hunting Opportunities for Veterans Act. Um, you know, part of that was to recognize their service and to create some opportunities um, and kind of a, you know, a, a thank you. Um, so the states kind of got that in a mandate, which which is, you know, fine. Certainly no no issue there. So duck season can only be 60 days. Uh, there is some obvious allowances that are different for for geese. So Canada geese, you can set up a little bit different. And of course, you know, it doesn't affect us in Ohio very much, but out in the western states, the the light geese, the you know snow geese and and Ross geese, okay. um, those seasons are are different. But duck season is sixty days. So when we were allowed under the Migratory um, Bird Act from the federal government to take two days and set aside for a youth season, those had to be subtracted from the sixty. So when we made the two day youth season. That, that basically created a 58-day season for anybody who wasn't a youth. And, of course, youths can participate that as well. So when this act passed, the options were to either subtract two dates um, from that 58, making it 56, and set them in some other weekend. Uh, or if we put them with the youth, now we still only have to subtract two, so we have the 58-day season. So that's still a good time of the year, still plenty of teal around. Wood ducks are starting to move through. Uh, resident mowards, coarse geese are around. So, you know, that gives them that opportunity that, that was, that was uh, put forth by Congress. Um, it doesn't reduce the duck season for everybody else. You know, and the thought was, you know, maybe 
we'll find some 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 veterans. Certainly, we've had a lot in the past that have made super good mentors for the youth. That's a good time for one of them to find a kid, take them hunting, and a day both of them can enjoy. Sure. Okay. So, so I just want to get clarification here. Uh, Congress mandated that there had to be an additional season for veterans or gave the state the option to have the additional days? So the way I read it, it, they passed the Migratory Bird Framework and Hunting Opportunities for Veterans Act. I believe that it was a mandate, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Okay, so then I guess let's move on to the turkey season changes. So was that just to give people more opportunity or, or, or what, was what was some of the thought behind that? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was just to expand, uh, expand opportunity. Um, and throughout most of the range, they felt the numbers, uh, the numbers were, were good enough, you know, that, that, you know, we don't necessarily think, think it'll be, uh, add to additional harvest very much, but certainly space out that harvest and spread it out. Um, we just thought it would, you know, having that Saturday, Sunday opener would give, you know, people work and, and kids, school kids and things like that, additional opportunity. And, and we felt the, the resource could, could handle it from the, from the biologist. Okay. So then probably a little bit of a, a bigger discussion is some of the changes around grouse and quail. So we said that, you know, we're talking about reducing the bag limits. And I think basically both of those were, were cut in half, right? You were allowed four quail a day. Now you're, you're, you're proposed to be allowed to, to harvest two a day on quail and rough grouse was, is going from two to one. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. And so that sort of, I guess speaks to maybe this, the state of affairs with those birds. Can, can you talk to, you know, some of the, some of the thoughts behind those changes? Right. So interestingly, for years, you know, we looked at rough grouse and rough grouse were in trouble quite simply because, uh, you know, habitat, a lot of that 10 year old, 15 year old clear cut had grown up and we had found that, you know, Ohio's forests overall were maturing. So there was a decline going on during them. And, and, and the thought was, if you build it, they will come. Well, since then, the, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot more activity where, you know, logging activity and, and such where, you know, habitat's actually gotten quite a bit better, but yet the birds hadn't come back. So some recent studies have pointed us in the direction and, you know, it wasn't even thought about for the longest of time that actually when West Nile virus came through, we actually now believe and through some through some studies of other states have shown that that West Nile virus hammered the grouse. Um, and, and if you think about it, you know, driving around in, in August, you know, and you see a great, great horned owl sitting by the side of the road. It's a big animal. People are going to notice it. Well, if you're a grouse sitting in a berry thicket in August and you drop over dead, nobody's seeing you. And by the time the leaves drop and everything else, that carcass is going to be rotted away or consumed. So what had happened was, is, you know, 
That's the problem in wildlife management. For whatever reason, if an animal population drops, you know, it's not always just a habitat answer. But then, you know, when that animal drops in population, then you have a devastating, you know, disease come through. You know, that that's pretty much your your golden answer for where did they go? So that that's the biggest thing with them. Um you know, and, and, and talking to our, our grouse hunters and stuff, too. But, I mean, nobody was going out and shooting a limit of grouse anymore. Um, so, certainly the responsible thing to do was to cut them back. I mean, they're, they're not to the, certainly to the level of need, needing to be complete closed. But, you know, where they, where they are still in numbers, let's take some of the pressure off of them and, and hope that they can, they can bounce back from this. Okay. So, these are, these are attempts to... With hopefully the the improved habitat, we'll cut back on the on the harvest for you know however long is determined necessary to hopefully bring that population back up. Absolutely. Okay. So and then like you said at the beginning, these are these things are evaluated yearly. So whenever the biology says that the population has hopefully rebounded, you guys will then reevaluate, reassess and say, yep, they can support, you know, for example, the quail, you know, we can open hunting on public land back up or we can increase those, those daily bag limits. Right. And, you know, a lot of this comes out of, comes out of our, our, you know, surveys too. I mean, we, we have, we survey the public and, and, you know, a lot of these, especially with the grouse and quail, you know, not only did we have the biology behind it, but I mean, we, we survey those groups of, 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 of hunters and, you know, they, they definitely were behind it as well. But once again, I'm sure not everybody, but I mean, you know, we can only speak to the masses and try to try to do what we can. Sure. So I guess let's, uh, uh you know, let's get to the big bad wolf, the, the coyote changes. What, do, um, do we, do we want to hit the quail real quick? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See yes, Sorry. That's yes. all right. That's okay. You know, the quail pretty, pretty similar. I mean, there was little habitat in Ohio before European settlement. Um, Ohio was mostly forested with patchy grassland openings. You know, quail likely occurred in very, very small numbers in Ohio with limited distribution anyways. We are, if you look at wild quail, Ohio, and particularly Southern Ohio is the closest because you get up into Northern, it's almost completely out. Um, and we were barely on the, on the edge of their, their range anyways. Um, probably when Europeans moved, settlers moved in, opened up some more habitat, grassland type habitat, um, their numbers definitely went, went up some. Uh, so, you know, we were probably kind of on borrowed, you know, on borrowed terms with that anyways. And, you know, unlike agriculture, the 1800s, you know, modern agriculture doesn't leave as much food and habitat, you know, left behind. So, sure. you know, under these conditions, a quail population like we had 40 years ago is just not uh, very sustainable. It's 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 unlikely we'll ever see a recovery to pre-1980 levels. Um, so it's just really kind of a situation where where we're, we're just trying to hold on to the little few that we have. And, you know, there's there's a few wildlife areas that we have intensively managed for them and they, and they do exist. Um, so we are, we are going to try and keep them there um, and, and see what we got. Now, 
there there is still some some public spots um, that certainly they'll be able to to you know hunt on there a little bit. Um, but we did cut even cut the uh, you know the proposed season. It seemed like most of our most of our hunters seemed like they would rather be able to shoot a couple for as long as they can, and you know versus you know versus not, not being able to shoot them very long or, or have them around very long. And, you know, hunters at the root of everything are conservationists. So, you know, I, you talk to most of them, nobody, nobody wants to be in favor of, of, you know, having, having that on their, on their plate is, is sure. do we, you know, they, they want to maintain it. So that, that's definitely what that was all about. Now there is going to be a few, I mean, we, I think we talked earlier about, about closing all wildlife areas there. There is actually a couple that uh, I believe they are going to kind of keep open because because basically they're like you know dog training grounds and things like that 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 if we were to completely close quail on you wouldn't be able to do that so um, there there is there is a couple areas that I believe will be you know they will leave open yeah I think that was the the Tri Valley Wildlife Area and any controlled hunts on the Crown right. City Wildlife Area. Right, because because most you know I I don't believe that that's been designated as having their own you know real wild populations. I mean, so basically those are going to be release birds that that we still want to be able to maintain that opportunity for people that uh, that do. Um, okay. Fallsville, Crown City, um, those are both. Those are both uh, those are both areas that that we do have that that do have the quail, and we we definitely want to you know be able to maintain them there. So who likes getting a deal? I know I do. I know Jacob, Jeff, and I are always searching for deals, trying to find the best sale, the best price on something. So we were looking for a way to try and share that with you all without sort of clogging up our Ohio Huntsman feed. So. What we've done is we created a separate Facebook page called Your Outdoor Deals. So you can find that by searching at Your Outdoor Deals on Facebook and like and follow that page if you're interested in this kind of stuff, right? That way, if you're not interested, you don't have, if you don't want the deals posts, you don't have to follow the page. If you do, if you're, if you're looking for deals, follow that and It'll be a separate feed of deals we're finding. These aren't necessarily products that we've tried, but browsing around, you know, say Amazon or something, you know, we come across a deal that goes, you know, wow, this is this is a really good price. This is something, you know, between the three of us, we would be sending to each other like, hey, check this out. This is, you know, this price is kind of hard to pass up or, hey, I know you were looking for a, a good deal on whatever warm socks or a a new knife or something like that so that's what this page is going to be about we we wanted to keep it separate like i said so we're not clogging up the ohio huntsman feed so if you're interested follow at your outdoor deals on facebook and get the deals posts if you're not don't worry about it no 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 harm no foul but the other nice thing is if you guys use these links to buy the products, we make a small commission on those sales. So it doesn't cost you any more. The price isn't any higher. It's just a way for us to earn a little bit of money. It's a way for you guys to support the show without... It's a free way, basically, for you to support the show. It doesn't cost you any extra thing, anything extra. So 
check that out. If you're looking for a way to support the show and you're looking for some deals on outdoor gear, check it out. Your Outdoor Deals on Facebook. And now let's get back to the episode. So a couple things on that. Do you think some of the initiatives around H2 Ohio will maybe help the quail? The reason I say that is, you know, I know there's a big wetlands and and sort of marsh component to H2 Ohio, but there's also the ag, you know, best practices for some of the ag and, and uh, you know, sort of allowing for those brushy buffer strips on, you know, uh, creek edges and drainages, drainage ditches and things like that. Do you think that will maybe have a, a, a helping impact on quail down the road? I, I would, I would doubt it. Um, first of all, H2 Ohio is an absolute wonderful program. Um, it's going to save habitat and acreage. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely the water quality end of it, which it's all about is, is super. Um, the side note of that is, is wetland and waterfowl production. You know, the, the problem is, 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 most of the quail we have left are in an extreme, you know, south uh, west Ohio. Uh, the majority of the H2O initiative is going to be taking place in the Lake Erie drainage. So, okay. you know, it, it, it would be, first of all, those birds will never get there on their own. I mean, that's certainly we'd have to undertake and never say never and seldom say always. But, you know, the, the grassland component of that would have to be pretty pretty extensive for it to really have any difference okay okay but I mean, like i said never say never and seldom say always you know, it's a movement and you know sure people who are interested and and certainly you've got you've got you know groups like pheasants forever and 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 things like that that do great work in northwest ohio already so you know the opportunity is there i mean and that's that's part of the reason you fight so hard you know, I, I've had people, you know, say, well, geez, we're on the edge of, edge of quail range. We probably never really had them anyways before pre-settlement. Maybe we ought to just let them go by the wayside. But, you know, part of the reason you fight so hard to maintain what you have is because you don't know what your opportunities in the future are going to be. You right. know, I mean, the, we don't have a ton of pheasant left left either, but there are still some. And, and even though that is a complete non-native bird, it's something we've accepted and kind of taken on as our own and and any opportunity that we have in the future to expand a pheasant or a grouse population or 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 a quail population you know you want to have at least those pockets of animals left so you can do the good work to, to potentially bring them back where they should be okay so i guess another in that line of questioning how are those populations how are those population levels estimated right because like you know deer right that's a that's a that's a bigger species right we, we kind of talked about that you've got you've got very detailed harvest information uh, how are, how are the quail and grouse populations estimated right so uh surveys um we do we have quail count surveys um that we have run uh for years so you got the grout you know and, and in conjunction with that you have the um you have the cackling surveys um, with, with the pheasants, um, we do turkey surveys. It's a gobbling count. So, you know, just because you don't have a check-in procedure, you know, we, we have years worth of data, um, that, that says if you go to these certain spots, uh, especially where, where 
you know, known populations are, you know, if you're hearing X and last year you heard Y and that trend keeps up over a series of years of either dropping or rising, you actually can get pretty good, pretty good estimates. Because let's face it, I mean, you're, you know, even if you can't kill that turkey in the tree, he's got to gobble. They just can't help themselves. So same with same with a a whistling bobwhite in, in the spring or or a cackling pheasant. Um, or a drumming grouse. So we we have done, we have years upon years of data, grouse drumming, quail count, you know, pheasant cackling, and, and you know, we've, we've gotten fairly good at that. Okay. All right. So, uh, I mean, so it's, it's boots on the ground, you know, wildlife, wildlife management. Yeah. I, I actually heard my first grouse drumming just a just a few years ago down in southeast ohio and and that's just that's just a cool sound to hear it's a a wonderful wonderful noise and that yeah unfortunately that's the one thing from so you know i mean i don't really remember the heyday of of pheasants or quail especially up in this area you know and up in the central part of the the state where i grew up north central Uh, i don't remember those um but I do still remember the grouse, and it, particularly when I was in college, um, you know, pretty much lived on grouse. I was a you know poor college kid, and and we had a, a an abundance of grouse, and uh, grouse to this day is still one of my most favorite wild games uh, meats to eat. So, you know, then you go out as an adult, and you just don't hear that like you used to. So it, that one kind of hits me a little bit, but. I mean, I know they're still there. Um, I know the habitat's coming back, and that that's the beauty of it. So you get this thing like a West Nile that moves through, kind of this freak, you know, freak situation that just hit them at the worst possible time, you know, kind of kick a man while he's down, so to speak. Sure. Um, and, but but we we think that with grouse, there, there's there's a definite chance at them at them coming back. It's just going to kind of be a wait and see type of thing, and. And, you know, continue to manage the habitat that we have control over to make that happen. Okay. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting before we move into the coyote changes? Yeah, the only the only thing that might be of, of certain interest to some is uh, you see the, the, the scalp or the bluebill limit uh, being cut back um, fairly significantly, uh, you know, that's all. And I've, I've, I've heard, seen comments on that of, you know, well, Ohio shouldn't do that. You know, a lot of that, a lot of the waterfowl stuff is direct, direct related from what the feds mandate uh, when it comes to waterfowl management and numbers and harvest and, and what the restrictions are. So that, that scalp reduction is, is an answer to, you know, their mandate of what's going to happen in the flyway. So, you know, I, I, I just kind of felt remiss not to mention that a little bit because I know there's some interest in that, sure. um, and that that's kind of a response to to the feds. I mean, you know, we we have we have been very very fortunate. Um, we have been operating under the most of liberal six duck a day duck season um, for a number of years, um, and it's because we work hard to manage and we work hard to to make sure we stay in compliance with the feds and. And, and we do a lot of great work for waterfowl in this state. Um, we're never going to be a huge waterfowl state, uh, even though we got Lake Erie and we've got some great waterfowl hunting. It's just that for whatever reason, we don't hit the natural flyways very well. 
Although, interestingly, we are seeing sea ducks happen to pick up in numbers quite a bit the last few years on Lake Erie. Um, you know, sometimes you get something bad happens and you get, get a good response. But, you know, things like zebra mussels, which was an invasive species, uh, we're, we're finding the sea ducks love to eat them. So we are, you know, our duck hunters are, are kind of getting a little bit of benefit there because they're starting to see some really unique species that normally you'd have to travel out of state for. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's very little, interesting. Yeah, once in a while something good happens from something that that we don't necessarily consider to be good. Um, but yeah. but yeah, we've you know we're starting to see a lot more scoters come through, um, long-tailed ducks that were formerly known as old squaws. You, you didn't see those hardly ever, and now that, that's that's routinely showing up in the in the bag of a of a Lake Erie hunter. So you know you're going to see. You know, and, and there's some thought that that unfortunately that's kind of maybe a cause of the decline of bluebills. Um, maybe there's something that those those that those uh, zebra mussels might be filtering out that could be affecting them. They're not quite sure what's going on with them yet, but for the last couple of years, the bluebill numbers have really kind of bounced around to where they don't have a great handle on them. Okay. They just know that they're they know that they're down, but but they can't quite put their fingers exactly on why. But there's ongoing toxicity studies and and you know habitat looking at habitat and you know, there's just so many factors on what what could cause one individual species to drop a number, but yet you know another one to to raise well above. And duck numbers overall are well above long term averages at this point. So you know it's it waterfowl is a bright spot. All right, I want to pause the conversation quickly and talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio-based deer feed company. They source all their products, all their ingredients from Ohio. They even try to source their packaging from Ohio. So right there, that alone, you're supporting the Ohio economy, and they make a really good product. We've had really good success with this product, and the one thing I'm doing right now is using feed to to monitor the bucks in my area to see when they've dropped their antlers. So, you know, much like the rut, right? You have does come into estrus on a bell curve. I think you have bucks drop antlers on a bell curve. And so you have some that have had an injury or something that, that are dropping way early. But, you know, I, I kind of like to try to, I've heard people say, you know, once 50% of the bucks in your area have dropped, it's probably a good time to get out and start looking for antlers. So that's what I'm doing. I've got feed out to kind of monitor what bucks still have antlers, what bucks have dropped and can use that to hopefully find more sheds. So check them out, go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors. And there'll be a link there for monster whitetail grub and you can get in touch with them and try some of their stuff. Now let's get back to the conversation with Brian. So then we get into the coyote changes and coyote are, you know, they seem to be a very polarizing species, whether you love them because you love to hunt them or you hate them because, you know, they're, you know, you think they're, they're killing all the deer and turkeys and, yep. you know, they are a very polarizing species. We've got step, lots definitely of, a love hate relationship. Yeah. We've gotten lots and lots of, comments and and feedback about you know about these proposed changes so sure. uh, can you talk to 
why, I guess, why, why the, the proposal to bring them into the fold, if you will, of fur taker require a permit to both hunt and trap them? Yeah. So, so interestingly, it's, it's not to bring them into the fold of fur taker or fur bear. Okay. Coyotes have always been a fur bear. Um, they are by any definition, um, including the Ohio revised code that, that has defined them as a fur bear for as long as I've, I've been around and that's 26 years. Um, there, and, and as such in the higher revised code, it states that you need a fur takers permit to harvest a fur bear. Well, there's a little clause in the Ohio administrative code that says you don't. So right now there's this conflict between revised code and administrative code and by rights, the revised code, which is set up by the legislator, does trump the administrative code. So that's kind of the first little glitch behind the whole thing. Um, the other issue, and there's there's a couple other issues. The other issue is, you know, you don't need currently a fur takers permit, even though the revised code said says you do. So a trapper or a uh, fox hunter or a you know raccoon hunter they have to have this fur takers permit currently a uh, coyote trapper does not so you have to have hunter education you know to get your fur trappers license so anybody who is trapping any of the other fur bears had to at least take this minimal um amount of training and that allows them to to help avoid uh, non-target catches and you know there's just some responsibility there that, that that you're taught during that well if you just trap coyotes you don't have to do any of that and you know we we've heard a little bit back from from you know some of the the ohio state trappers association and such that you know, they think it would be a good idea that if anybody who sets a trap in the state of Ohio should have that minimal type of train. Um, you know, if you think about things like gray fox, red fox, um, even even domestic or, or, or deer avoidance, you know, that, that's probably not a bad idea that everybody who sets a trap in the state of Ohio does at least have that minimal amount of training to tell you how to avoid those things. Because I noticed like in what, when we were talking and, and you kind of sent those list of questions back is, is, Hey, have you, you know, have you guys considered maybe open it up during, you know, the, er, the early spring, like in the, in the fawning or, or the, uh, you know, when, when there's, when there's pults maybe for turkeys or things like that. And I kind of looked at that and, you know, the, you know, what I see as a problem with that is, is one of the things, the big things they're trying to avoid is this non-target catch outside of the season um, to catching these other these other fur bears? Now, I also know in like 20 years of experience as as a as a state law enforcement officer here with the Division of Wildlife, you know, as well as being a, a big time turkey and mushroom hunter in the spring, that's something that people could have done for years. And I got to tell you, I've never seen, and I realize "never" is a big word, and some 
Somebody in the audience is going to say, I do it. I, I'm sure of it. But <laughs> I've never stumbled across anybody trapping that time of year for any for any of those reasons. Sure. So I don't see that see that happening now. And I know that everybody's not going to buy this, but it is it is just a biological. You know, it's the biological answer. If you look at the coyote proposals or not the coyote proposals, I'm sorry, the, the, the bow hunter survey that, that we we ask every year. And we have we've got this the coyotes data going back to 1990. Um, so we, we've got 20 years worth of data. And it shows this distinct population of, of, of coyote, you know, climb through the years until you get um, until you get to, you know, probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, I sent you guys the, the, the graph. You see that number level off and that numbers continued other than these little blips, you know, of, of a bumping up a little bit, dropping a little bit. You see this, you see this mountain climb up until it hits a certain point and then you see this straight line going across people don't understand that it takes it would take and studies have been done it would take professional full-time trappers full-time jobs to actually affect the coyote population the coyote population is not affected very much by our harvest the coyote population is directly attached to a prey base years when prey is high Predators go up. Years when it's low, it goes down. So it's not like there's going to be this huge population of explosion of coyotes because, you know, we, we don't trap them, you know, during these few months of the, of the year. You're, you're still going to be able to harvest them. You're still going to be able to, to hunt them. We're not actually trying to protect the coyotes as much as we're trying to protect some of the other animals that surround them. Nuisance situations are still going to be able to be addressed exactly how they are, you know, right now. And I know there's a lot of people that, that are going to say, hey, it's just vermin. What makes the difference? You know, but to the lot of the trapping crowd, you know, coyotes right now are, are Ohio's most valuable fur bear. Um, so they are a resource that, that, you know, still needs managed and, and utilized. But it's it's about as much about protecting some of the other animals and, and having this educated base um out there that is going to trap them and and for those that are saying you know it's kind of a money grab you know we only sell fifteen thousand uh fur taker permits a year right now in the state of ohio over five thousand of those are currently just bought by people who hunt so i don't think we're going to see this big uh, uptick in, in fur taker permits for people trying to hunt them so that's i mean that's kind of the nutshell version of it okay so uh, you, you talked about the population the 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 bow hunter survey so that coyote population is based off of uh those bow hunter surveys where where people are reporting what species they see while out while out hunting is that where those Correct. numbers are coming from and that's been done over 20 years. And if you think about it, the, the bow hunters are actually a really, a really good, uh, a really good, you know, indicator for us of that. Because, you know, they spend, if you think, you know, bow season's our longest season for anything is bow hunting deer. So that's a group of people that are spending the most time of, of any hunting group actually in the woods 
And if you think about the nature of bow hunting, it's a very sit and observe type of deal. You know, it's not active. You're not up walking around. You're sitting, you're observing the surroundings, you're observing your landscape. You know, it's not like you're most of the time kicking a coyote out of the bush, you know, so, so we think we're getting pretty accurate, accurate data, you know, over 20 years, you've got, you know, nine months a year that you've got these people actually out there being your eyes and ears as far as wildlife observers. Sure. So I guess I understand the, the desire to want to protect some of the other species. So, so why require a fur taker permit to also hunt coyotes? So because the Ohio revised code has, has them, um, defined as a fur bear. It also says that a fur taker's permit is required to harvest a fur bear. Okay. So that's, that's kind of where that's, you know, where that comes back to. Um, yeah, and we understand, I guess, that that's not, that's not, you know, totally popular uh, with, with absolutely everybody. You know, there's another school of thought that, you know, there's people that don't seem to mind it. And, and especially since it is Ohio's, you know, if you went to the Bellevue fur auction this year, you know, coyotes selling in the $40, $50 range for a single coyote were not, not unheard of. So, I mean, it's not like it's, it's a complete... Uh, you know, complete waste of time or, or waste of, of your resources. If you do shoot one to, you know, skin it out, take the hide and go recoup your money and then some. Yeah. So uh, I guess, um, I, I'm under no illusions that, you know, a, a few guys, you know, shooting a coyote while they're deer hunting is, is controlling the coyote population at all. Right. There's a, there's a, a good book that we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, I, I think it's called coyote America by Dan Flores. And he, in that, I don't know if you've read that book, but he talks about like the, the, the history of coyotes in America and, and how they've sort of been persecuted through the years. And, you know, in history, right. We've, we've tried to wipe out coyotes right. and, and they just adapt too well. They, you know, they can control the, the size of their litter based on, you know, how many um, coyote howls they're hearing back and things like that. Like, and, oh. and he goes into detail yeah. on that. And, and you know, two, two, two animal species that we have in Ohio that will absolutely never cease to amaze me are white-tailed deer and coyotes. If you stop and think about it, those are, are two of our biggest mammals that we have in the entire state of Ohio. And have, you know, can you, I just can't imagine how adaptable we have found those things to become. They can yeah. literally live about anywhere. They can literally live live amongst us, um, and and that's 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 true. I mean, you've got coyote, coyotes can actually they will they will adjust not only adjust their litter size, they'll adjust the number of litters they have a year. Um, you, you have these base home QDMA just did a study where you have these these transient groups and you have these resonant groups. And the transients groups just keep moving around the state, moving around and moving around until until a, a animal is killed, whether whether it dies of old age or hunter or vehicle collision. And bam, it's it's immediately filled with another one. Um, the research has shown the only places that they have had any success in lowering the population is literally where they have multitudes of full time 
employees where they're, where they're constantly trapping these things until they reach the carrying capacity. And that's what Ohio's data is showing is these animals have, have kind of hit their ceiling. Now they're going to bump up and down little bits, but they have basically filled in all available habitat in Ohio. So they're really not going to go up anymore. They're really not going to go down anymore. Uh, now, distemper can move through, just like we talked about. Um, just like we talked about the grouse. I mean, there's years of distemper. There's years of sarcroptic mange. Um, you know, there are other mother nature controls as well. But but those will still just be appear as as, as blips on the screen of the of the long term coyote population. It's going to maintain itself for the most part, where it's at. Because I don't see us, you know, creating tons more, you know, coyote habitat, or, you know, I certainly don't see us, you know, building lots more giant cities. So, I mean, we're, we're probably, at least for the, the next foreseeable future, Ohio's kind of a, established where it's at, you know, as far as the state. Sure. So you talked about the sort of aligning the Ohio Revised Code with the Ohio Administrative Code. How is there's obviously the discrepancy today. How is that handled today? Is is there some sort of a an allowance? To, you know how how are people not breaking the law today? Yeah, it's, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I suppose if you wanted to dig into it, you know, I guess you could say they kind of were, except there's this goofy exemption where. They are, but yet you, you know, it certainly couldn't be something that was prosecutable. But I mean, that's kind of the point when you have something that's that's kind of messed up. It, you, you kind of owe it to the, owe it to not to get it unmessed up, you know. And and through the years, you know, it's a beautiful thing, okay, that the Division of Wildlife has this Ohio revised or this Ohio Administrative Code. It's what allows us to change our season dates to match the calendar like we talked about earlier without going back into the Ohio Revised Code, which is an extremely complicated process, you would never get it done in time for the next season. So there is a section of the Ohio Revised Code that gives us the ability to have this administrative code. But really when the day is done, we, we can't have things in that administrative code that is in direct conflict to that. And I don't know how long it's been that way. Um, I don't know why it was set up that way. I can't answer any of those things, but there is a responsibility one way or the other to, to get that stuff right. Because just like, just like the question you, you just asked, I, I can't give you a great answer for that because it doesn't really exist. Okay. So sure. when would be the, uh, proposed coyote trapping season? Like roughly what would those dates be? So those, those dates would match the entire rest of the fur bear season, the, the rest of the trapping season. So it would line up with, with fox trapping season. Um, it would be the normal trapping dates. And, and therefore, any incidental catch that happened that, during that time period would, would be you know, right in uh, the, with the legal harvest time. So when they caught that, that, that fox, instead of letting it, letting it go to, to maybe make it or not. I mean, some of those, you know, that we, we find like a gray fox, for instance, they don't release quite as well. You know, they, they suffer a little more more, uh, mortality. Um, Those animals could be lawfully harvested and that, that animal wouldn't uh, go to waste. 
Okay. So is there is there any thought of going the uh, you know with aligning the administrative code with the revised code? Is there any discussion, or do you do you ever see a, a future where it goes the other way, where you're allowed to hunt without a fur taker's permit, or is it you know is well, that, it better I mean, easier yeah, to go the way you guys are going? Well. You never say never and seldom say always. There, there's certainly a danger in opening up the Ohio Revised Code um, because then that makes all of that section uh, eligible for debate and change and uh, tweaking or removal. Okay. Um, so the, the Revised Code fix is kind of the safest and, and easiest. Um, it So it... And, and, and unfortunately, to fix the revised code, then then doesn't doesn't help this this non-target issue. It doesn't it doesn't help the the requirement, you know, and, and I think I think most people at the root of it could agree. Yeah, I, I could. I think that's reasonable. If you're going to if you're going to trap in the state of Ohio, you probably should go through a trapper education course, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, we want to avoid non-catch. We want to avoid domestic animals. We want to avoid, you know, the, the potential of a deer and a snare. And and that's all caught in that. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for lawful trapping, always have been. Um, it's, it's a lifestyle and a livelihood and, and, you know, it's just, it's just something from your youth, you know, you see Jeremiah Johnson come over the hill with a coonskin cap on, you know, I think we can all, but, but, you know, trapping has, has kind of had an image problem through the years with, with other outside, you know, organizations that, that is, is not always fair and not always right. But if you have people out there who maybe are not going through the training, not doing it right. They could be a part of that image problem that that really trappers shouldn't wear. Okay. So, do you guys have any estimates on how many additional fur takers permits you think you're going to sell when I, you honestly, when and if this goes into into law? I don't. I don't think very many at all. Okay. I mean, this, this is this is literally. I mean, this is not about trying to raise money. I mean, we, we no. You know, I, I I don't have time to trap. I like trapping. It's probably, I mean, I'm a turkey hunter. I'm a, I'm a waterfowl hunter. My, my, you know, I'm big time turkey hunter. I take kids out turkey hunting. I turkey hunt. My wife and I both killed, killed deer this year with our bows, killed bucks. So, I mean, I am an outdoorsman, um, but I'm also a bird watcher. I'm also a hiker. I'm also, you know, I've got this consumptive, non-consumptive. I just want to be outside doing stuff every time I can. Sure. And I, I got to tell you, I'm probably not going to buy one. You know, I, I can count, I can count on, you know, three or four fingers of all the turkey hunting and all, you know, the, the chance encounter opportunities I've, I've had to, to shoot a kayak. So, you know, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see this being any kind of influence financially whatsoever. Okay. Um, I, I honestly think most people, other other and that's that's the problem the the people that probably is going to affect the most let's face it is the turkey hunter you know or or the bow hunter you know the the diehard predator hunters they're already going to have one because you're not out there you're not out there coyote hunting and and not being able to shoot a fox when it's fox season right okay 
I mean, a lot of the, you know, and a lot of those, those same lines, I mean, you know, a raccoon hunter has got to have one to run his dogs and, and raccoon hunt, but yet then a coyote hunter doesn't have to have one to coyote hunt. There's kind of a discrepancy there, you know, from my standpoint, you know, just looking at it from a fairness standpoint, you know, we require it of the one fur bear hunter, but we don't, we don't the other. Sure. You know? So I, I do, I do, you know, I do kind of, you know, personally, from a personal standpoint, I do look at the, the guy who's just the turkey hunter or just the, the bow hunter going, I got a coyote walking by. I can't, you know, I can't shoot it. It's going to be 15 bucks. But I mean, the same thing holds true now. If a fox comes by or, you know, a, a raccoon comes by, you know, those guys have to buy one. Right. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's kind of like, eh, come on, guys, it's kind of fair is fair. Yeah. So it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a effort to close down or to res- even try to eliminate or restrict coyote hunting or coyote harvest because we look at the numbers and and we know from a biological standpoint the recreational harvest of these things really is not going to influence their their population one way or the other. Um, it's it's directly tied to you know the the, the prey availability. You know, they and they primarily eat small game. Do we find deer scat, deer hair in their scat? Absolutely. It is not possible to di- to di- differentiate. You know, what are they taking of, of of live animals versus feeding on on carrion? I mean, you got a deer, I guarantee you, a coyote's eating it. Right. Yeah. You know, roadkill, coyotes are eating it. I mean, it's 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 impossible to find out their their numbers of what they actually take down. Do they take down some fawns? Probably. But, you know, I had a guy tell me a a great story. He's a big time trapper. He trapped his first coyote in 1978. He let it go at the time because he thought it was a dog. He'd never seen a coyote before in Ohio. 1978, he traps his first coyote. Wasn't until about a week later it dawned on him what it was. You know what we didn't also have very many of in 1978? white-tailed deer he said brian i have watched the coyote population rise and he said along with that i have seen live through the heyday of white-tailed deer numbers in ohio i've seen them hit their peak and i have seen coyotes make this steady decline to where they finally have leveled out he said it's just the natural cycle we're not seeing you know this, we're not going to see this big coyote explosion where it, you know, it, it screws up the deer numbers or, you know, it just biologically, it just doesn't work that way. Now, is it possible in some isolated small areas? But yeah, so there's where you get into, you know, you get a guy who traps or, you know, it's not like guys are going to quit trapping. Right. Yeah. I I just, I Mm -hmm. just, I mean, I understand the emotion and I think that's what a lot of this is, right? It's, it's emotional reaction. Um, and, and I get it, you know, and, and coyotes are, you either love them or you hate them. So there's emotion that's tied de- to it. And when, when deer numbers are down in your area a little bit, that's an easy go-to, right? It's a coyote's problem that they're the ones that did it. It's gotta mm-hmm. be something, you know, but I think a lot, uh, there's, a, there's so much more of this that's tied to it. That's more emotion than, than actual biology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, those are all great points and I'm, I'm glad we had you on to have this conversation and, and oh, I am too. talk I'm about some of this yeah time. 
yeah. a great time with you guys. Now, so so we do, you know, with all that said, and, and over the course of our entire conversation here, um, we still do value public opinion, right? So we've got this, we've got this uh, biology that we try to go with, but we also highly value our public's opinion, and our public is going to be able to give those opinions, right? So we have uh, several opportunities here coming up. First of all, on uh, February 21st, uh, wildohio.gov, if you go on there um, or just do a Google search for Ohio Division of Wildlife, it'll take you there as well. Um, we will have an online comment section where you yeah. can ask, uh, where you can where you can give your comments on all the proposals. And we'll be sure to put the link when that goes live. We'll put that link in the like because we always do an article that it goes with each right. episode. We'll be sure to put the link to that on a, on the article so the listeners can find that easy. Perfect. We also will have a week long open house. We're doing a little bit different format this year. Normally we do it on one day. You'll have the entire week. And this was planned before the proposals. This isn't because of the proposals. Just a new format. Uh, March 2nd through the 6th from 8 to 5. You can show up at any of our district offices um, that are in the state of Ohio. And you can find those online or look in the, the hunting or fishing regulations. You can go there, read the actual proposals. Um, there'll be biologists on hand, uh, fisheries biologists, wildlife biologists, um, someone with law enforcement background. You know, we'll have an officer there or someone who's commissioned. I mean, you can speak to our staff and, and ask additional questions because, you know, I, I don't mind. I like to get people's opinions and I, and I like I like to have them involved in the process. I get a little aggravated sometimes, though, on let, let's do it on on the facts. Right. Not not the fake news, not what people make up, not what your buddy put on Facebook. C come get to facts and, and really make an informed comment and decision based on what those facts are, because it doesn't do us any good to get, you know, get a bunch of comments or, or requests or you know, things on changes over stuff that we're not even proposing or, right. or, you know, or on misinformation. But that week of March 2nd through 6th from 8 to 5, any of our district offices um, and Wednesday uh, of that week um, will also be there until 7 p.m. at night um, for for folks that, you know, can have to work and can't make it during those time periods. Yeah, I, I think that's a good mm -hmm. point. Um you know, I'm sure if, if somebody goes to the open house and, and they just want to vent about something, you, you know, you guys will politely listen. But but yeah, really no, these that's, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I don't even mind that. It's just when you finally get down to to making, you know, making make your opinion. If, you, if you're going to give 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 your opinion, make it count, you know, make it be on, you know, because we get them all the time and, you know, we read them. We're like. Well, this thing's not this is this guy's opinion doesn't even match anything that we've proposed. Right. You know, and yeah. not that you mm -hmm. can't give your opinion on other things, but I'm just saying based off of some misinformation that's kind of directly, you know, related to this. Yeah. And we're also, you know, by the way, we're also looking for information on on potentially um, um new direction and things too. So for instance, even though it's not a proposal, right? But we want to know what the public thinks. I mean, we're talking about uh you know, looking into maybe, you know, hey, do we do a nine day gun season? OK, instead of instead of being going uh, Monday through Sunday, do we do like turkey season? Do we add another weekend 
Do we open it the Saturday following Thanksgiving, go Saturday, Sunday, Monday through Friday, then Saturday, Sunday? Is that something the public wants or is it not? Because really, I mean, biologically, it's not going to matter. It's just going to spread the harvest out a little more than actually increase the harvest a whole lot. We think the deer population can, you know, can handle it. But is that something they want? If the public resoundingly says, oh, no, we don't we don't want to do that. Okay, because I don't you know, biologically, that doesn't matter as much. That's more of one of those sociological type decisions we look at and say, hey, wonder if the public would like this. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we try to let be as accommodating as as the resource allows us to be. If the biology and the numbers say we can do this, if it's something that we could help people to be more inclusive or we could we could add numbers or help their success or help them get kids involved or mentor somebody new. I mean, we're, you know, we're going to try and accommodate that, but we want to do what they want, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a new question that that that'll that'll be out there and we'll be asking shortly. We're, you will see that kind of maybe at the sports shows or definitely that's going to be attached to our online comment for these proposals is, is possibly that Saturday opener for Deer Gun too. Just just because we want to know, we're not proposing it yet, but we want to know what the interest is. Mm-hmm. So a comment we see a lot online with these open houses is. You know, it doesn't matter if you go or not go because they're not going to listen. You know, these proposals are set in stone and they're going to get passed. They always just get pushed through. Um, Has there been instances where something has been proposed and then not became law? Oh, yeah. Or 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 usually it's a it's a tweak. Right. Um, For the most part, you know, a lot of times there's there's little little tweaks that can be done. It, you know, we're, we're going to have to look at the, it, depending on what the response is on, on the coyote one, you know, certainly going to have to look at that one a little bit tougher because, you know, the, the, the problem with that one being in that rooted in, in the legal end of it, that's, mm-hmm. that's going to take mm-hmm. some work around, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, like, so instance, if, if we were to do the, 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 uh, like the Sunday opener for the, I'm sorry, the Saturday open for gun season, That'd be an easy one, right? Because we already have the authority under the higher revised code to set these dates and seasons. So that's right. that that wouldn't that wouldn't take a reopening of, you know, a, of the revised code or something like that. So so some tweaks and things are are easier than others. But mm-hmm. yeah, if we, if we get over over resounding response, but you know, I just hope that people look at the total the total picture of things with with what it what that would require and what what could be risks by opening up that revised code and some of the mm-hmm. other arguments about the non-catch and the non-target catch and the and the training necessary you know to set a trap you know that's being proposed in the state of ohio there, there's some other elements to that other than hey we just don't want you to trap a coyote because that, that's really not true right okay so but, Jeff, if you don't have any more questions, I think the the last thing I want to ask is when will these things be voted on, right? So we've got the public comment period. Then at some point, you guys kind of reconvene and vote whether yes, we were gonna we're gonna implement these as proposed, or we may make some tweaks to them. When does that happen? Yeah. So so basically, from from when those when those came out, um, it's 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 like a four month process in total. So 
um, we do get the, we do definitely get the responses and those responses are all hand tabulated. I mean, every single response, whether you do it online, whether you do it in person and, and fill it out at the office, um, I, I all but can promise you those things, every single one of those will get read and those will get tabulated, um, and, and kind of for and against and different, different suggestions and it's kind of, it's a, it's not an easy process. I mean, it's, it takes a lot cause it's not, you know, do you like this? Yes or no. I mean, people have the option to give real opinion there and that, that takes a real human to sit down and work through. It's not something we can just plug into computers. So right. all of that is tabulated. All that is factored into it. Um, all that is read and, and presented with the package. Um, and, and then we, we, you know, we, we tweak things from there. It could be passed. It could be tabled. Um, potentially, you know, I mean, if we have to work through some other issues with it. Um, but, you know, I, I can guarantee you all that will be read and factored in. And, and okay. you know, when you when you go back to the guy that says, you know, don't go, it'll never be, you know, your your opinion doesn't matter. It's it's kind of like, you know, the guy that says. I, you know, I'm not going to go vote for president because one, no, no president's ever won by one. I mean, right. You, you know, do you give up your right just because you might not give, get what you want? And, you know, there, there definitely are times when, when I, I assure you, every one of those are red and I, I assure you everyone's factored, but it is hard when you're trying to manage wildlife for everybody, you know, not every individual person's going to get exactly what they want every time. And, you know, I've seen things where that I've been passed. I'm like, well, shoot. Yeah, I see that that's good for everybody. But dang it, that kind of affects me. Not how I would like it to be. But right. Yeah, it, it is. It is what it is. And, and I can assure you there's there's no underlying tone of not trying to do, you know, what we try to do, you know, best for everybody. I mean, this this department right now with with Governor DeWine and and Director Mertz and Assistant uh, Director you know, Steve Gray and Chief Wecker, I mean, they, they're really trying to do some good work. You know, the H2O Ohio stuff, the, um, and, and the water quality and, and the, the giant chunk of property we just bought down at AEP that's going to open up thousands of acres. I mean, there really is some good work being done down, down there. And I mean, that's why I, that's why I took the jump and, and into the position I'm in now. I saw the people in charge and the direction we were headed. And I, I wanted to be, you know, a part of that. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. I know I am, you know, kind of had my eyes open to, to the way some of these things worked and, and have been educated on some of this stuff. So I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come on and, and talk with us. And I think, it's going to be really helpful for the people that listen to this show. So thank you. Sure. No problem. And yep. you got my number. We'll, we'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I would like that. So all right. with that, uh, we'll let you go and we'll talk to everybody next week. Thank you. All right. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Like I said, I thought that was a really interesting and helpful conversation. It was nice to be able to ask him some of the questions, especially the questions you all have been asking to us. We were able to ask him those questions, get answers to that stuff, and I know it's helped me to, to be able to make a more 
informed decision on if I support or oppose some of these changes or, or, or any of these changes. So as we mentioned in the episode and as we mentioned in the previous episode, this is your chance now to, to make your voice heard and let them know what you like and let them know what you don't like. We talked about the open house events. That's one way you can do it. And then there's the online portal. I don't know that I'm going to have time to get out to one of the, the open house events, but I'll, if I don't, I'll definitely be submitting comments through the online portal. Like I said, I will make sure that that is included in this article, the article that I write to accompany this. I'll put the link to that online comment portal once it becomes available. And then I'll probably also add it to the article that I wrote for the previous episode that we did, just so that it's easy to find. We'll be sure to share it on social as well, so make sure you're following us on social media. That way you guys can stay up to date on all of this stuff. And uh, yeah, again, I want to thank Brian for coming on and talking to us and giving us some of this behind the scenes or behind the scenes isn't doesn't really seem like the right term, but but just giving us some of the backstory, some of the data that they're using to to make these suggested changes and sort of getting getting into the why, right? Because we, we just see these proposed changes and, you know, without knowing the why, some of it seems, uh, I don't want to say arbitrary, but, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to make sense of, you know, a two-sentence statement on a change when you don't have the data or, or some of the information that they're using or that they have access to to make that proposed change. So this was really helpful. I hope you guys enjoy this. Hopefully this answered the questions that you all had and made things more clear. Hopefully it cleared something up for you and you can now support or oppose the changes that are proposed. So with that, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. If you if you found this helpful, if you know you know people that this is going to affect, that hunt small game, grouse, quail, that like to hunt or trap coyotes, share this episode with them so we can spread the word, get the information out to as many people as possible. And yeah, make sure you're subscribed. That way you get notified when there's new episodes. And with that... I think that's all the updates. I will let you all get back to whatever it is you're doing. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.